morning, everybody. My name is Bonnie Rumsey, and I have been coming to this church for almost 23 years. It's been a while. Our scripture this morning is Philippians. Please listen while I read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. <clears throat> the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false mouths or true, false motives are true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body... This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, Again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. 
Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Thank you, Bonnie. And welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus. We build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. You all may remember me. I'm Pastor Aaron. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for your prayers and your uh, patience with me as I was recovering from a cold. It did do a number on my lungs. I'm feeling much better now, but if I do cough, I'm not contagious. Trust me, I'm feeling much better, but it did, did affect my lungs a little bit. Um, but it's good to be back as we have our series on Joy Unchained, and we are going through the book of Philippians, the chapter one is where we're going to be uh, today, which you just had read to you. And last week, Pastor Jesse did a great job kind of giving a summary of the book and some of the main themes that we have in there and how we can trust God and our joy really comes as Christians. needs to be uh, untethered from the brokenness of this world because our joy is tethered to God. And that's the whole concept of this entire book. Today, as we go into chapter one, you're going to hear and you heard in there that Paul and he teaches us how to do this too, how we can have joy unchained from our circumstances so much so that we can actually have joy in the midst of hardships, which is a superpower. And we get to have that and enjoy that. We're going to talk about how we do that today. But, but first, I would I appreciate if you would uh, uh, just do a mental exercise for me. I promise there's a point to it, <coughs> maybe, and uh, you'll, you'll get to it. Oh, Imagine that there's four people sitting up here, right, standing at the very front of the stage. And the first one is a king, right? And he's got the crown on his head and all of that. And uh, somebody from the front row tries to take his crown. He pushes him away. And he's like, no, I'm the true noble, right? And that's that guy, right? And then next to that, uh, that red king, I want a redneck, like just as redneck as you can get. And he's got redneck juice, right, in his thing, and it says on there, uh, pure, and he sent, he's trying to sell it to it, he says, this is right pure, right, right pure redneck juice. So you got the king, that's, that's the true noble there, and then you have the redneck selling the redneck juice, which is right pure. Next to him, you have one of our esteemed admirals uh, in our military service. He's an admiral, you could tell, because he's got the naval hat on, all that. He's the admiral, all that, but he's putting on lipstick, like our admirals do. And, uh, <laughs> and he is just a lovely admiral. Well, I mean, everybody looks at me, he's like, that is one lovely admirable, a admiral. That is a good guy. So you have, you have the right king with the crown on it. You have the redneck, which is... Man, it's got ripe, pure redneck juice, and you have this lovely admiral, and then next to them is you. And you're standing right here looking at them, and there's a thought bubble coming out that just, just covers all over the top of them. Okay? So we all have that? Okay. Now, here's why I wanted you to do that. It's because we have a memory verse. <clears throat> oh. 
says this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. Oh, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy. Oh, I forgot, guy. Let's put Jesse. Four guys. Jesse is right here. And he's just praising the Lord on a golden piano. And I'm up there going, excellent. <laughs> so we have Jesse. And then there's, okay, let's start again. <laughs> whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, Philippians 4, 8. All right, test ourselves again here. <laughs> whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4, 8, all right, last time. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4, 8. You know, there is a truth in that, and the reason we're memorizing that for this whole series is this, that, uh, that what we think about and what we allow to focus on is what we're going to allow to dictate our joy, right? That, that's, that's the reality of it. And that passage is really the, the centerpiece or the key portion of Philippians. You wonder how Paul has the ability to have joy in the midst of all of these things. Now, you'll notice that's in chapter 4. That's near the end. So I, I did the spoiler for you for the memory verse. But I want you to begin to apply that because I wonder if any of you might be right now that are going through hardship. Now, a couple slides ago, I showed you that there's a, there's a definition for joy. You're going to find it in your dictionaries. You also find it in your theological dictionaries because uh, our definition of joy matches the Greek definition of joy, uh, which is this. It's the state of great happiness or contentment. And so when we read in Philippians, which is a book that has joy in it a lot, what Paul is talking about is this state of, of just great happiness, great contentment. And so it's not some thing that's uh, spiritualized away. It's not unattainable, things like that. Anybody can experience joy. And in this world, a lot of people experience joy at certain times. The problem is, is that this world isn't always a place that is happy. And this world doesn't always give us what we need or what we want. And so we're not content. And so when people, everyone in the world, when we tie our joy to our circumstances, what happens is we have these lives that have joy in them at some points, and then that joy gets dragged away by the awful things of life, and then we're joyless. And oftentimes we find even Christians can be mopey, joyless people, which is tragic because God has given us a joy that is unchained from this world. It's not that we have a different joy than the rest of the world. We have a better joy. We have a joy that is actually can stake with us because here's the cool thing. Our joy, as Jesse did a great job last week talking about, is attached to God. And guess who's never going to leave you nor forsake you? That's the difference. And so we go back into, <coughs> I'm going to pass through this. 
joy and how we have it in the midst of hardship, that's probably the hardest time to have joy, and that's how Paul begins his book. He shows us in the midst of his hardship that not only does he have joy, but gives us uh, some, some direction of how we can keep that joy. So if you have your Bibles, I would appreciate if you open up to Philippians 1. You can even make notes in your Bibles because it's a good thing to do. And, and so just a reminder of who we're talking about in the context of that. This is the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest minds in all of human history, right? He was, had a missionary heart, traveled all over the, the Greek world uh, and, and showing the gospel and all that kind of stuff. He loved to travel. He loved to be out. He loved to go do. He was, an, uh, he was a, a, a forerunner of the faith in so many areas and all this kind of stuff. And here he is stuck in a prison for his faith after doing nothing truly wrong, he had troubles, right? It, he couldn't go and teach. He couldn't go and learn. His great mind, his, his ability to travel, all that was being unjustly contained inside a prison cell. And yet, we find in this chapter, you heard Bonnie read it, he talks about joy tons of times, great happiness and contentment. How on earth did the puzzle pull? And stuck chained to Romans who hated him, telling him, be quiet. How could he have joy, great happiness, and contentment while he was stuck? There's three things that he, he points out in here that he really focuses on that I think he found joy in. And I think that's for us as well. Because remember, all the scriptures recorded for our benefit. And so let's go through. The first thing we find that, that Paul finds joy in is God's people. That at the first section of this passage is all about that. I mean, look how he begins his letter. Verse uh, 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. That's how he begins. Not, I am so miserable to be stuck with these lousy Romans. That's not how he began. That's how I would begin. But he says, I thank God. There was great happiness that he had because he was part of the body of Christ. Even when he was separated from them, he found happiness and contentment knowing that the body of Christ and that he was part of the kingdom of God. And then he loved those people. So he starts with gratitude for their fellowship. You know, <clears throat> I think it's, it's important for us to recognize that in our life, we oftentimes focus on what is wrong. I think Jesse did a great job last week at one of Jeff's uh, uh, pieces of artwork there and said, if we just focus on what's not finished, right, then we miss the beauty, right? When we focus on what's wrong in our life, which is really easy to do, if you have a pebble in your shoe, like everything else might be awesome, but you just think about that pebble, I get it. But when we just focus on what's wrong, that's all, it's going to take over everything. But the reality is that God has a lot of great blessings in our life. And what we focus on, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, Anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things, and Paul does this. That the people of God are all of that, and he reminds himself he's part of them. So, so, so he thanks God for them. And then, why does he do that? Well, the very next passage, the very next verse, you'll find that he, he says here is all my prayers to you. I always pray with what joy, great happiness, and contentment. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Paul's joy was because he was partnered with them. It's not just that the kingdom of God exists, it's that he's with the kingdom of God. He's part of the church. He's partnered with them, doing great things. 
You understand? Christians are made to be part of the body. Just like every member of your body, all of your body parts were designed by God to fit together. Aren't you glad for that? They have a place. They have a function. And your body works a whole lot better when all your body parts show up. Right? And your body parts are all better off for being connected. Right? If you cut the nose off your face, it would make you look funny, yes, but your nose would be the one that would suffer the worst. That Paul was connected to the body of Christ, and he was partnered with them. And there was something that God was doing there. That is why in, in a lot of Paul's writings uh, from Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 1, and Ephesians chapter 5, I mean, Paul talks about the church as the body. And it's great to be part of a body. When you are locked away in prison or when you are struggling in the midst of hardship, when difficulties come, when the storms of life hit, when the flood rages, doesn't it make you a little happy that you're not alone? Wouldn't it be awful to face this world by yourself? Or just even if it was just you and God, but you had no fellowship with anyone else, how dark. But he didn't set you to do this alone. He gave you a church family, a body to be part of. And when we focus on the love and, and, the, and the commitment and, the, and the, the fellowship that we have because of Christ, it helps us through the difficult times. I think so many times when Amy and I were going through our struggles, how this church came up, stepped up for us. Right? There was times people just give me a phone call, leave me a text, hey, Aaron, I'm praying for you. Even while a cu- last week, I was with my mom um, doing her husband's funeral, and that, thank you for your prayers on that. And I got eight different texts through, you know, those days saying, hey, we're thinking about you, praying for you. You know how much that meant to me? To know even when I'm away that my church family loves me and that you're praying for me, that's huge. See, Paul was connected to the body, but there was even more than that. You see, our bodies are, are made of this earth, right? It's how God formed them out of this earth. There's just natural things, but they're not just that. Is that after he formed the body, God did something amazing. Is he breathed spirit into the body, right? And then it became alive. And if you've hung around bodies that have spirits in them, you will know that they're a lot more fun than the bodies that don't have spirits in them. That group is just dead. But if you hang around with people that are alive, it's amazing. Do you know that God's Holy Spirit fills his body? That's why the church is different than any other body, any governmental body, organizational body, or corporate body in the whole world. They're just made of this earth. Ultimately, there's no life in it. But in the church, it's the one and only place where God's Holy Spirit fills this body. And so we have life. And that's why we have joy. In the next passage, he goes on, he says, about this church... Because God's Holy Spirit is in the church, and it's different, and it's alive, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That we're not just partnered with each other, we're partnered with God. And that makes all the difference. Because if it was just this group of people versus the world, I'm sorry, you guys are excellent people, and we're very smart and, and all that, but this world is too big for us, and the devil is powerful. But it's not just us against them. A greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Aren't we happy about that? 
and that Jesus has already overcome them, and he uses fools like us to go and make a fool out of the devil? I think that's fantastic. What kind of joy do we have? A God who doesn't abandon us. Like Paul knew that, that the work of Christ didn't depend upon him. That this amazing church, that he got to be part of it and partnered with them and all those things, but ultimately the victory is Christ's because it's not by might and not by power, by God's spirit that the world is being conquered by him and we get to be with him. And so we get to share in that glory and joy. I think that helps Paul a little bit because he knew that even though he was in prison, the kingdom of God was not. It was unleashed and he was part of it. You know, so I find that the first thing we, we look to in the midst of hardship, because here's something, maybe you will have hardship in life. And when you have hardship, one of the ways that we have joy in the midst of that hardship is by finding joy in the fellowship of God's people. To look to them, to rely on one another, to pray for one another, to care for one another. Right? Th this is huge. It's why there's so many one another's in Scripture. We, we look for that. And when we rob ourselves of God's church, we rob ourselves of, of this key, essential key to an unchained joy. Now, as part of God's people, and when we are together, then we have the second key, the, the second place that Paul finds joy in, in the midst of his hardship. And it wasn't just God's people, but it's also in God's purposes. See, they're partnered together for a reason. God's Holy Spirit was there for a reason, which means Paul is part of God's greater plan. That God has a purpose in things. And so Paul, when he looks to his circumstances, he recognizes that because I'm with God, and I'm, I'm part of God's people, and I'm part of God's kingdom, and God is overcoming this world, and I'm in that, then there's a purpose and there's a meaning for what I'm going through. He talks about that in uh, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So different than saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has shown the inherent corruption in the system. Right? What does he look to? Not the brokenness of man, because here's a new flash. People are broken. Right? Which one of us here doesn't have corruption? Right? It shouldn't surprise us or shock us that the unsaved world acts like they're not saved. But Jesus is doing something bigger. And, and Paul finds the hand of God. It goes back to a, a principle <coughs> in life, which is this. You always find what you're looking for, right? If you're looking to buy a, a, a blue truck, guess what you're going to see everywhere? Blue trucks, Right? If you start looking for, for every time I say um in a sentence, you're going to start noticing every time I say um. It was already there before, but you didn't know it. You're welcome for that. <laughs> you, yeah. We always find what we're looking for, which is why God tells us to look for what is ever is true and whatever is noble, right? What, whatever is right and whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, excellent. That's what we're to look, look for. Because God is with us. He is all of those things. And when we look for God, when we ask, we seek, we knock, guess what? We find him. And Paul was so attuned in this point in his life to looking for Christ, he could see him in God's hand. And so he looked at his circumstances from the human perspective, just looked unjust. It looked horrible. And he says, hey, don't 
feel bad about me. What's happening here is we see God at work. Paul framed his circumstances in the light of God's plan. He was suffering, yes, but God was at work. And you know what? If you suffer and there's, uh, and there's a purpose for it, it makes it a lot easier to suffer for those things, right? I mean, think about today there's this football game happening. Some people are going to watch it, <laughs> right? And the people who are playing that football game, they've been practicing since they were probably four or five years old, right? And then football practice isn't always fun. You have some adult there or somebody, they're always criticizing you, telling what to do better, right? It's, it's physically demanding and painful. And you have all these people, crowds who are always there, and if you ever make a mistake, they're there to watch it, and, and, and they're going to see what you did. And everybody's got an opinion, right? And you win together, and you also lose together. There's a lot of pain in the midst of the process. But I guarantee if you ask any one of those football players today, was it worth it? They would say yes, because there was a purpose to their suffering. That's a game. We don't play a game here. This is the reality of God's kingdom. This is the most real thing ever. If we're going to suffer, we suffer for righteousness. We suffer because God is at work, because God is working all things together for his good and ours as well. We suffer for purpose, and that gives our suffering meaning. And so we find joy in it. In Philippians 4.13, <coughs> he goes on, he says, And as a result of his suffering... It has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So God was at work through Paul's suffering, not in spite of it, be, right? Because of it, as he says, as a result. Do you know that God works through your difficulties? He doesn't hand you your difficulties. We make problems. But God curates our suffering for our goodness and for our redemption. He takes the brokenness this world hands us and he uses it to refine us, to make us stronger, to make us better, to make us more glorified, to build his kingdom. That's why we find joy, not because life is painful, but because God is using that pain to do amazing good things. And no matter what this world brings against us, God is going to use it, some awesome spiritual jujitsu that he does against the enemy. I mean, he beats the devil with his own stick daily. I love that about my Lord. You just can't beat him. He's fantastic. And so Paul said, I, I got stuck here in prison. And guess what? I am in the very palace of Caesar. And, and here and, and in the very palace of Caesar, now his own staff are becoming followers of Jesus. And everybody knows what Christ has done. And it wasn't just that, that he saw God at work in the palace there through his suffering. But he also says here, because of my change, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. And there all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I mean, there was a spillover effect. I mean, if he was going to suffer, yeah, he was suffering. But instead of it shutting down the church, it expanded the church. I think part of it is because Paul didn't suffer like a wimp. Right? He, he took his sufferings and he said, all right, I'm in a broken world and I'm in a war against the enemy. And all of this is going to happen. And then I may have some suffering because Jesus kind of warned me that that was going to be the reality of it. But I also know that God said he's overcome the world and that he's doing something in this. I'm going to look, I'm going to find what he's doing. And instead of being discouraged, he began to live a life that was encouraging to others. Do you know that you are more inspirational to other people, not just in how well you handle success, but, but more, you inspire them more by how you handle adversity? Isn't that true? 
I mean, how many books do you love to read about somebody who's just had this easy life, and they're like, all these great things, and you're just, does that make you think, oh, that's an awesome person? If you read a book like that, it'd make you hate that person, <laughs> right? Like, oh, you got it easy. But the books that inspire us, the stories that inspire us are the ones in which adversity came, and yet the person came out the other side stronger. They endured. There was some goodness that happened on the other side. We see the resilience that came from within them because it builds something in us because all of us know we struggle. And the cool thing about it is that you don't want to overcome your circumstances. Christ overcomes your circumstances through you. You can't lose. And so, just like with Paul, when we are in the midst of hardship, it's not that God has abandoned us, it's that God is refining us, yes, but he's also using this as an opportunity for us to, to demonstrate to the world a very true reality that God is real, he didn't abandon us, he is with us today, and that we are overcoming the impossible. And that gives us all courage, doesn't it? Well, even though this is true, and many in the faith were encouraged by what Paul had done. And verses 15 and 17, Paul goes on to say, not every Christian responded well. Can you imagine? There were some Christians that were using Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to build their own ministry at Paul's expense. Can you imagine Christians would do such a thing? And do you know Paul's response, instead of being like, well, I can't believe them. You shouldn't listen to those guys. They're using it, you know, preaching the gospel and trying to build their ministries at my expense, and that's just so petty. Do you know what his response was? Look at verse 18. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. He doesn't just have joy. He's like, I want to get more joy. I'm going to come back to that joy, and I'm going to have it again. Second helping. Because it's not about Paul. His joy wasn't tied to himself or his circumstances. His joy is tied to Christ. And Christ's kingdom is advancing. And yeah, even if there's opportunistic punks out there who will misuse our circumstances in a wrong, wrong way, God will still use our circumstances for his glory and our good. Okay, so let them be little punks. They have to talk to Jesus at some point about it. But if this kingdom is advancing, who cares? Can we rejoice in the fact that light is overcoming darkness, that good is overcoming evil, that the corruption is being undone, that for unto us a child was born, to us a son was given, and the government is on his shoulders. And get this church, he is, he is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. I love this part, he is an everlasting father, he ain't going anywhere. He's our prince of peace, and he rules and reigns now in this church and throughout the globe because the church has gone global. <laughs> That's the God we have. So yeah, we rejoice. Wicked people can't under, undo the good of God. Doesn't that give you great happiness? Doesn't us allow us to have a little bit of contentment in the midst even when things aren't going our way? We know that everything is working out for God's way. Well, Paul saw this, and so he's found, he found joy in God's people in his hardship that gave him comfort. He's found joy in God's purposes in the midst of this, that there's part of it, but that wasn't the only joy he had because if he stopped there, that's still kind of a spiritual kind of martyrdom kind of joy. It's kind of weird because he was still in prison, still suffering. I want you to say the third thing they found joy in was God's promises. See, Christians don't hope to, to suffer. That's not the highest aim. It's not like, okay, in this world you're going to have suffering, so just deal with it. 
Do you know that we really, we, we look forward to a day where we're not going to suffer, where our suffering is going to be worth it, but that, that there's actually glory coming, that there's actually justice coming, that there's actually a time in which all of this brokenness will be undone, that we will experience great things, that we don't look forward to saying, okay, well, I guess I can put up with these awful things because, you know, it's just the way of humanity. We look forward to things being remade. But God's promises are powerful. And in, and in verse 18, he says, and yes, I will continue to rejoice. But Paul was steadfast in this. He was slapping the devil upside the face. He's like, you stuck me in prison and tried to think that by sticking me in prison, you would stop the advance of the gospel and you would make me a mopey little guy. But you did not. No, no, no. The gospel is now being preached in the very palace of Caesar himself. And even if there are some people who are using this for wrong motives, the gospel is still expanding even through them in spite of them. But he goes this, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for what? My deliverance. Paul's joy wasn't found in a prison cell. It was found past the prison cell. Some of our prison cells are are difficult people in our lives. Some of the prison cells we have are difficult finances or broken bodies that we have to live within. Some of our prison cells are the injustices that we have to endure in this life, right? Some of the prison cells we have are very real and uncomfortable. We shouldn't become content with the prison cell. We can be content inside the prison cell because we know it's temporary and deliverance is coming and that God is at work in our life and that is the promise. And he kept his promise to come to this earth in the flesh. He kept his promise to die for our sins and to give us a way to be redeemed. He's going to keep his promise to come back. So in Philippians 21, uh, 121, he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the whole point of that. Because he goes on and says, it Would it be better for me to die? Well, of course it would be better for me to die. But I'm convinced of this and I've got to keep on living. Why? For your good. So God's kingdom can continue to grow. I think it's important to say, for me to die is gain. We have to believe that, brothers and sisters, that this world is not it. We can't just cling to this life and think that we're going to find our joy and happiness and contentment in this world. If we do, this world will always let you down. Jesus did not come so that you would have a healthy body here, because most of us are going to die. Right? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know which of you. (laughs) But most of us will. He didn't come so that all of us could have fat paychecks and, and big full accounts or that we could have, you know, ridiculously good, easy lives on this world. He's not opposed to those things. God gave us the blessing that we can handle. But that's not why he came. You know that all of those wonderful things that you look for in this world are actually promised in, in a much greater measure in the next life and it won't be contaminated and it won't fall away. <laughs> but those things are just as real there, in fact, more real. And so when we die, you get a new body, but not just a diff, like a, a recreation of just this body. You get a better body. You get an upgrade, right? It's like you drove a Yugo, and now you get a Ferrari, right? W- do you think that's better, right? It, it's, it's not like you, you just get a, a better house. You get a, a full-on mansion with God. It's not like you just get a better you know, society to be in. You get to be part of God's own kingdom and you get to be part of his royal family, which is pretty good. And if you are in Christ, you already have those things. The only difference between experiencing them is that we haven't walked through that threshold yet. There's a veil in this world, which is death. We're not afraid of that. We embrace it. We say, all right, God, take me there. But we also don't have to rush through it. 
because we recognize that we are in God's hands. So to die is gain. That's why this world can't take anything away from you that God's not going to give back in greater measure. So we, we cling to that promise. But if we're going to live, let's live for Christ. If he gives you good things, use those good things to build his kingdom and to build others up and to enjoy the goodness in life. If you, if, if you have difficulties in your life, endure them, knowing that, that God is at work in the midst of it. Live for Christ. Joy is found there. If you start living for your own self in this world, your, your joy will be chained to this world and you're going to have a joyless life for the most of your existence. Always panicked about the next bad thing that's going to happen because it'll take away your happiness. But when your happiness is tied to Jesus and his kingdom and his promises and the assurance that are there, okay. It helps us to elevate ourselves so our joy and the contentment, our happiness can, can survive even the greatest of hardships. Now, Here's something that Paul says at the end of it, which is a little bit of a downer at first, but it's really not. And he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together in the one faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved by God. Do you notice here that he's focusing on God's people together, right? He has his joy there. The purpose is, hey, I want you to live for Christ. We're going to be working towards it and his promises. Now, <clears throat> this world has a lot of people that are against God. And because of that, they're against us. They're, and that's just the way it is. And one of the ways that we demonstrate to them the futility of a life lived only on this for the flesh is by when we live for Christ and we endure hardship and it doesn't crush us, when we can still have true joy, actual happiness and contentment, when the world says, that's not possible, you shouldn't be content and have happiness in the midst of this, it shows them that they're living for the temporary and the smaller things. And that right now, they're, they're on the path of destruction. We don't want anyone to be destroyed. So we have testimony to the rest of the world. Our joy isn't just for us. The happiness that God wants you to have that's, that's through the midst of, of brokenness isn't just for your own good. It's for our testimony. If God just made Christians' lives just health and wealth all the time, the rest of the world would look at us and say, well, of course you're happy. Life just goes easy for you. It would not teach them that there's anything different than what they're already living for. But when he gives us those moments and those difficult times, when, when the darkness comes and yet we still shine, that's the opportunity that the world gets to see the reality of our faith. And that's where Christ is, it's, it's his glory begins to shine in us and through us. Which is why I think, you know, we find even in the early church that they said that it was the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. It wasn't that Christians were killed. It was the manner in which they embraced their death with grace. And that they didn't curse their captors, but instead prayed for them. That they didn't go into war against those who were warring against them, but they declared a mighty heavenly peace. Changed the heart of nations. God works in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our darkness. He shines from it. Luckily, he doesn't make it just dark all the time because he loves us. <clears throat> but there will be times that we, we will have hardship. All of us will. In fact, Paul finishes this up in, in uh, verse uh, uh, 29 and 30, this chapter, with this. He says, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, which if you're in Christ, we do, but also to suffer for him. 
that's, that's a difficult thing for us as Christians. That's where we're usually we like to be comfortable. But to know that, that I find great comfort in this because every one of us suffers. Every one of us. And this is not like God has abandoned you. It's not like you are the one kid that he doesn't love. But we feel that way, don't we? God, why didn't you take care of that person and not me? How come you allowed me to have this difficulty and not them? The reality is we are all going to suffer for Christ. That's not because God doesn't love you. It's because God is working through you. He loves you too much to just spoil you. He's going to use your life for your goodness and for the goodness of his kingdom and the benefit of the world. It's been appointed by God. So when suffering comes, you have not been abandoned. You are loved by a God who is with you. You have a church of God who is with you. You have the God's purposes that are at work in the midst of that, and you have his promises to cling to. This is how we have joy in the midst of hardship, true, great happiness and contentment. So how do we apply that? Well, if you have your connection cards, as you know, I love to give you next steps because I want us to apply this truth into our lives so that our joy can be unchained from this world, so that we can be a testimony to our neighbors and our friends and our family members, but also so that we're not overwhelmed by the difficulties of life. <coughs> the first thing you'll see I'm asking you to do is to memorize Philippians 4.8. I kid you not, this is a great way to be able to find joy in the midst of hardship. Right? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, right? when you set your mind to that, that's like a powerful thing there. And you know, when we begin to, to think about when I'm losing my joy, I use that filter to say, am I looking to the right things? Now, here's a cool thing about that. God's people are true. And they're noble. Do you know we're a kingdom of priests? That God's people are right. We've made right by God and we are pure. Right? God's people, when you think about God's people in your church family, it is lovely. It is the bride of Christ is admirable. Look at the good that our church, not just the church in general, but this church has done even this last year and are doing right now. The God's people are excellent and praiseworthy. So when you are in your broken time, think of God's people, like Paul. Do you know what else? God's purposes, they're true. God's not lying to us. He's doing good things. And they're noble. What God is doing is the highest. He's calling us to the highest way of life. His, his purposes for us in our life right now, they, they're right. And they are pure. God's purposes are lovely. They're admirable. They're excellent and they're praiseworthy. Think of God's purpose in your life. You know what God's promises are? <laughs> They're true. He's not lying. He's coming back. Their kingdom is ours. It is noble what he's calling us. His promises are noble. God's promises for you, they are right and they are pure. They are lovely and they are admirable. They are excellent and they are praiseworthy. So when you feel in despair, think about such things. Second thing. Read Philippians 1. It was read to you. It was preached to you. Go back into the Word. It's for your benefit. Take some time this week with the Word. 
something I'm going to encourage you to do. If you have been coming for a while and you're not a member of our church yet, I would love to, to be able to talk to you But what is our church? What do we believe in? How, what does it mean to be a member? How do you do that? We're going to have a membership class. If you're interested in that, let me know by checking that off so that I can contact all of you. And, and I'd like to maybe do it our, our Sunday school time, but we'll, I'll, I'll make sure that we talk. But if you'd like to know what our church is about, we would love to help you find a church family here. Be part of God's people. And if you're already part of this church, I'm going to encourage you to come next week because our annual members meeting. God has got really awesome things for us this year. I mean, truly amazing. And I want to share that with us. We need to be together. It's going to be after our second service. We'll have some, some light refreshments and some things to eat so you're not all low blood sugar and grumpy. And then we're going to meet, and, it's, and we're going to talk about all the awesome things God did last year and what he's calling us to this next year. And I'd love to have you there as a part of that. That's for our members only. So um, if you are, just let us know you're coming so we can make sure that we're prepared for you. All right, so I've given you all something to do. Take a moment, consider it. And then after we've had a little bit of time, Jesse's going to call the ushers up, and they'll collect your commitments, put it on your connection card, along with your prayers, and drop that in the offering basket, along with your tithes and your gifts. Right, let me pray for you as you consider how to how to walk out in faith this week. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this congregation and the goodness uh, that you've demonstrated to us. Your love for us is overwhelming. Father, I pray that you would bless us this week, even in the midst of hardship, and those that are going through hardship, you encourage them. And, and those of us that aren't going through hardship, you would give us the ability to be encouragers for those that are struggling. But God, I pray that you would help us all to find joy this week, true happiness, deep contentment, as we, as we fulfill our role in your great plan. Help us now, oh Lord, how it is that you would like us to act in faithfulness. Give us the courage to do so boldly. Father, we pray that you would bless these commitments in such a way that it draws our hearts closer to yours and that you would build your kingdom through us. We pray that same thing for our tithes and offerings as well, Lord. We center our lives on you. We worship you. So accept our worship and Father, build your kingdom and glory, we ask in Jesus' name.